And I, I think it's going to be a really good thought. Maybe it's just for me. We'll see. But Brother Dave's excited about it, too. Brother Dave actually spawned this thought. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for giving, this, giving us an opportunity to be together in your presence. Anoint this place. Anoint each one of us, our hearts, our ears, our minds to receive from your word tonight as we, we break open the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Somebody got the Holy Ghost last night. You got it. Can you tell your story real quick? What you told me. Okay. Put on the spot here. Um, so last night, well, actually, I've been going from belief to unbelief on whether, you know, the speaking in, in tongues and, you know, because you read one part and it's like, no. You know, that was for the, the beginning of the church so people would understand you know, the word in their own language. <clears throat> but So I was reading something about it last night, sitting on the patio, and there there was um, a nice wind. You know, it was hot yesterday, but nice wind. And I'm like, oh, that feels so nice. And as I'm reading about the, the great mighty wind, you know, in Pentecost, and the wind got stronger and stronger, which I thought was kind of odd. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start praying. And I started praying, and I started praying, and the wind got stronger. And at one point, which I didn't tell this part of it, but at one point, you know, as I'm praying, I just feel, you know, a big, like the wind going down my throat. And then I just started praying some more, and the utterance came. And, yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> that great honor patio. By herself. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, actually. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle. Say that. For we wrestle. For we wrestle. Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins good about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace for all saints. Oh, that's, I think I cut and paste. <laughs> gospel of peace. Ignore all saints. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle. Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It seems like when I remember as a kid, we didn't have a television, but, but when I did get to watch television at my grandma's house, the cartoons were all about world domination, conquering the world, all these cartoon characters trying to conquer the world. 
And, and it's, it's something that has been going on for a long, long time. And, and even in recent years, it, it's, it's been seen in, in the 1940s when Hitler was trying to conquer the world. Now, now Putin is trying to conquer some, some things. Why can't we just be happy with what we have? And I think it might be a, a sin nature thing, greed, covetousness, that, that causes people to do this type of thing. I want not only what I have, but what you have and what she has and what he has. It's this world domination thing. Um, and when we look at Old Testament history, we see that. You look at world history, you see that. Even in Abraham's house, back in Genesis, Abraham and I think I've shared this thought before because it, it still is, is something that blows my mind. It, and that is, I pictured Abraham and Sarah and little Isaac and a tent and some animals. Right? Abraham has long beard. But the Bible tells us he had 318 trained fighting men in his household. <laughs> the enormity of that I can't even wrap my head around. 318 fighting men in his household. It's, it's interesting, and I, I don't know who's running the PowerPoint for me, but if you could go on to the, to the world population slide, this is, this, this is interesting. There's a couple things here that blow my mind. Uh, well, there it is right there. About the time of Abraham, there were 27 million people in the entire world. 27 million people in the entire world. It seems like a lot of people, but there are 323 million people in the United States today. So 27 million people in the entirety of the world. You would think the world hasn't changed sizes. You would think there's plenty for everyone back then. But even in Abraham's time, there, there were some kings that got together, and they started trying to dominate their area, kings being kings of cities, not nations. They, were, they had just little realms in their own little cities. And they're, they're, they conquered Sodom and Gomorrah in that area. And Abraham took his 318 trained warriors, and he went and beat these kings. So you see this, this mindset of war and domination, um, it's, these numbers are, are pretty crazy. This is just, just FYI stuff that around the time of Jesus, there were about 175 million people estimated in the entire world. 175 million. Uh, that's the 10 largest states in the United States have more people than the entire world had at the time of Jesus. 1300 A.D., about 40, or excuse me, 400 million. And then 1350, 50 million people died of the bubonic plague or the black plague. 50 million people. Out of 400 million, 50 of them passed away. Now, now today we have 8 billion people in the world. If you look at a graph of population of the world, it goes like this and then spikes straight up. It's crazy. In, in, 1928, there were only 2 billion. 1800, 1 billion. 1950, 2.5, and now we have 8 billion people. And they're always fighting each other. 
always fighting. You had the Assyrians that came in into the Middle East. and We talk about Bible history. The Assyrians came in, and then the Babylonians. Then the Persians took over from the Babylonians. And then you have the Greeks that came in in, in the 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament. Alexander the Great and the Greeks came and, and took over that part of the world. The Old Testament is written in the language of Hebrew because that was the nation of Israel's language. The New Testament is written in the, uh, the language of Greek because that was the language of the world because Alexander the Great changed all that. There's a, and then, of course, in, during Jesus' time, Romans had come, come in and, and taken over that part of the world. People were familiar with this, the sword. You see your Roman centurion, right? You see the breastplate, the uh, headdress, his sword, his shield. They were very familiar with the use of the sword. The sword has been popular for now for quite some time. But we were in connections class two weeks ago. How many of you like connections class? I love connections class. But Connections class, we were talking about Gideon. And something was said in that class that spurred me to think. Brother Dave said something. So I wrote some notes down, and I thought, I'm going to look into that, because that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Sorry, Brother Dave. I just thought you were way out there. So you are sometimes, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. But we talked. He said in 1 Samuel chapter 13, the Bible says that there were no blacksmiths in the nation of Israel. And we brought it back to, to the story of Gideon. Remember the story of Gideon, who was, who was called by God. He, he felt like he was undeserving. He said, I'm the lowest in my family. I am not worthy of this. But God convinced him that he was worthy. And when he finally accepted the fact that he was worthy, he called all the men together and said, let's go fight the Midianites. Who wants to go with me? 32,000 men said, we'll go with you. God spoke to him and said, that's too many people. So he said to the 32,000, how many of you are afraid? If you're afraid, you can go. Now he's left with 10,000. 22,000 people were afraid to go. And somebody said this in that class, and it's worth repeating because I wrote it down in big, bold letters. Fear will disqualify you no matter how qualified you are. You can have all the qualifications, the, the, the experience, the education, the understanding, the anointing, and fear will eliminate you immediately. <laughs> fear caused 22,000 to leave, leaving 10,000. They did a test because God said that's too many. He said, take them all to the, to the creek and have them drink. And, and the ones that, that put their head in the water and drank, he eliminated. The only ones that were retained were the ones that scooped up water so that they could be attentive. 300 men left. 300 men left, and when they went to war, they took pitchers, lanterns, and trumpets. Lanterns and trumpets. They surrounded the, the army. At the sign from Gideon, they blew their trumpets, and they, they broke open these pitchers that covered these lanterns, and all of a sudden there's light that's shining and noise everywhere. The Midianites killed themselves. No sword. 
even though the sword is prevalent, in that instance, no sword was used for God to use or to, to route a victory. Which leads me to the story of David, who killed the giant with a sling and a stone, right? All right, heads up. This is really cool. 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now, David appears in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. Now, there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears, but all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a something for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. At the time of David's battle, they had two swords, Jonathan and David, because there was no blacksmith in the land to make swords. So what did they go to battle with? Mr. PowerPoint guy, wherever you're at, they took plowshares and sickles and ox goats and mattocks, what they were called, pickaxes. It gives me a whole different perspective on Saul's army. I think we have Saul's army pictured as like Roman warriors, right? I'm at least I have. Maybe all of y'all thought they looked like uh, Roman warriors like I did. Maybe, maybe you had a better grasp of reality than I did. Brother Dave, you mentioned something. I'm going to have you say what you said about the, the Bronze Age or that, that time. Okay, well, um, I was intrigued, too, by what I said, okay? And, uh, <laughs> he himself. <laughs> but, but maybe that was God, okay? Because um, I did some research on that, and... Uh, the Stone Age, there were three, we're known by three stages in history, uh, the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, and the Iron Age. And uh, Abraham was in the Stone Age. And the Bronze Age and the um, Iron Age occurred, I can't, if I would have known you were going to do this to me, I would, I'd have it down pat. But... Um, but, yeah, it was between the 11th century B.C. and 13th century B.C. where the Bronze Age virtually collapsed uh, with the competition between the uh, Iron Age and the Bronze Age. The, tech, the two technologies uh, met, and the Bronze Age just, just fell apart. So, uh, yeah, we think of, oh, and then just yesterday, or six days ago, there was an article, and you can Google this, that uh, a 13th century sword was discovered that was still gleaming. It was so well-preserved, it was still gleaming. And it's made out of bronze, not steel, made out of bronze. So the weapons that they're talking about, uh, Goliath's bronze, spear of bronze and all the bronze that David had and everything else that, and Solomon were, were collecting, steel really didn't exist. And the swords 
Now, this is my conception. It's just like what we used to play with as little kids, uh, a piece of wood in, <laughs> with a pointed end on it, you know, and uh, that, that's it. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> so so you, I, I, in my mind, I got a different picture of what war was like at that point. I see the old movies, uh, Spartacus, whatever those guys, you, those old movies where they're, they're fighting each other and they're throwing rocks, slingshots. So David having a slingshot was probably not unusual. Uh, I bet a lot of people used slingshots. But when David went to Saul and said, I'll go kill Goliath, what did Saul do? He said, well, you'll need this. We only have two of them, but you'll need one of them. And I, this thing is heavy. This thing is super heavy. So I could see why David would go, I can't, I can't handle that. I've never used anything like that because there just weren't any available to use. Sister Rose, did that blow your mind? <laughs> it gives, yeah, I hadn't either. I, she said, I'd never imagined. Like, I had not either. I, I, it gives me a different perspective on those, the, the Bible story around that time when I think about them going to battle. I don't think they went to battle like they did in the Roman days. It, they didn't have that type of equipment. Um, and so the, the people knew what it was like to battle each other. Their implements might have been different, but they did battle kingdom against kingdom, kingdom against kingdom. The New Testament introduces us to a new kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. This kingdom was different than any kingdom they had seen or known about. When the kingdom of God is ushered in, the mindset of the people was still, this is going to be an earthly kingdom. In that 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, the nation of Israel had been under the rule of somebody else 50 times. 54 times, actually, is what it recorded. 54 different times in those 400 years, somebody had ruled that nation of Israel. This guy would take it, then this guy would take it. It wasn't 54 different people. It was a lot of times one taking it back from the one that was there. But that nation was in turmoil all the time. And so when John comes along in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and says, there's a new kingdom coming. He starts to preach about the kingdom of God. That got the attention of the people. It wasn't the kingdom they were expecting, but it was a new kingdom. John talks about it in 3, 1 and 2. And then in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 and 17 says, From that time on, Jesus began to teach, and he taught the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a lot of teaching by Jesus about the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 16, 16, he says, For... For, uh, I wish I could quote this. <laughs> you had the law and the prophets until John, the law and the prophets were until John. You had the Old Testament until John came. After John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. That very next chapter, chapter 17, the Pharisees finally said, Show us this kingdom you talk about all the time. And he said, This isn't a kingdom of, that you can observe. You can't go like, Oh, is or low there it is 
It's not a place, he said, but the kingdom of God is in you. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom, and you experienced it. Acts 2.38, he opened the the door to the keys to the kingdom of God, and, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of kingdom he was talking about, but they didn't really get this. It was a kingdom of light. 1 Peter chapter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, into his marvelous light. This kingdom that's introduced in the New Testament is a kingdom of light. There is another kingdom. There's a kingdom of darkness, and this kingdom that God offers is the kingdom of light. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed unto us, or conveyed us into the kingdom of of the Son of His love. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. Acts chapter 26. This is Paul. I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And I'm going to read this one passage again, Ephesians 6, 12, For we wrestle... We wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a kingdom battle that is taking place right now, a kingdom battle for souls, and it's darkness versus light, and it is happening now, right now. It's funny that they had two swords in, in uh, Israel. There are two swords here at this church. I've got one of them. There's another one up in pastor's office. We have all the swords we need. They used two. We have two. But this is not that kind of battle. For we wrestle not against people, but it's the darkness that we wrestle against. So if there's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom of light and righteousness and a kingdom of darkness and wickedness, what can I do? There's an Old Testament story that is a pretty cool story. It's in Genesis chapter 18. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you this story. Genesis 18, verses 26 through 33. An angel appears to Abraham. Abraham, the guy with 318 trained warriors. So think about that as you're listening to this story. This is Abraham and his compound of people. An angel comes to Abraham, and two angels, and he, tr- he treats them. 
to, uh, to, to dinner. And during the conversation, he understands that these are men from God. And they let him in on a secret. They said, we're going down to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to destroy the city. Which caused Abraham to pause because he had a, had a nephew named Lot who had chosen to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you can, you can probably understand if you, if you had family members someplace that was getting ready to, to be destroyed, what that would do to you. And he said, wait a minute, are you, are you going to destroy the righteous along with the wicked? He said, just a second here, let me, let me ask you this. If you find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you still destroy the city? There were 50 righteous people there. And the angel said, no, we would not do that. For 50 righteous people, we would not destroy the city. Abraham, knowing what Sodom and Gomorrah was like, said, well, 50 is going to be tough. What about 45? If you find 45, will you still destroy the city? And the angel said, for 45 righteous people, we won't destroy the city. Forty? What if there's only forty? Would you still do it? The angel said, for forty people, forty righteous people in that city, we will not destroy the rest of them. And then Abraham got bold. Instead of going in increments of five, he said, what about thirty? Went from forty to thirty. Skip thirty-five. The angel said, for thirty righteous people, we will not destroy the city. You know the story, right? What about 20? For 20 righteous people, would you destroy them along with the wicked? He said, no. For 20 righteous people, we won't. Abraham said, what do I got to lose, I guess? 10? What about 10? What, what, if I, what if you find 10 righteous people in the midst of all of that? Would you destroy all of them for, for, with 10 righteous people there? And the angel said, no. Well, you know the story. They didn't find 10. But if there had been 10 righteous people, the city would have been preserved. Your righteousness is important. My righteousness is important. Would you agree that we live in a dark world? Would you agree that the United States is getting somewhat darker? Uh, Proverbs 14.34. Proverbs 14.34. Somebody, somebody read that, would you? 14.34. Uh, I can't quote it, so Proverbs 14.34. Once you start it, I'll remember it. But. All right. Here, I'll let you read it. Righteousness exalted a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is the reproach of the people. Righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness is important. Righteousness is important to God. It's a value that God puts a lot of store in. And in the midst of all of that sin, the righteous could preserve it. We have 
a responsibility to be righteous in the darkness. For we wrestle. We don't go along, we wrestle. Surrounded by darkness, we have to be righteous. Proverbs 29.2. You still, you still in Proverbs 29.2? Thank you for your help. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. We are seeing that. We are seeing that. We have seen that significantly. There are people, or, or cities in chaos because of unrighteous leaders. We need righteous people. We need righteous people to stand up and be righteous. Do we get a sword? <laughs> I'm righteous. <laughs> Throw my righteous indignation into a sword and, and, and go after that darkness? No, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our righteousness shines a light into that darkness, and it's imperative that we maintain our righteousness. Jesus is in the, in the upper room after uh, Passover. This is Luke chapter 22. Jesus is in the upper room after Passover. And I'm, not, I'm almost done we're going to get out of here early. Is that all right? So Jesus is in the upper room. He's had uh, the Last Supper. They've eaten. He's, he's washed their feet. He's, he's taught them for three chapters, John 14, 15, 16, 17. Uh, he, he gives this big sermon. They sing a song together. You can picture that. They sing a song. And then he says, I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. He was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. He's saying it's time. It's time for the scriptures to be fulfilled. And they said, look, Lord, we have two swords. <laughs> how, how, how are we going to do this with two swords? So these 11 guys and Jesus, and there's two swords. Peter had one. I don't know who had the other one, but Peter had one. He said, two's enough. You know Peter had the one because when they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers came out to meet him, He said, this is not how this battle is going to be fought. It's going to be fought like this. 
This one goes through the cross. It's not that kind of battle. It's this kind of battle that we fight through the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, and I close with this. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled. In, oh, that's not it. That's the one I just read. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The cross is the weapon, not the sword. And that righteousness I have is important in this world. To be like, I, I, I read this. I, I didn't test it out, but I did read it in the internet. You know, pretty pretty sure it's true that in total darkness, a candle can be seen for three miles. What a difference in the darkness light can make. And we are called to the kingdom of light. And there is a battle taking place, and we wrestle against those spiritual wickedness in high places. We can't let down. Can't let down. It's, it's, it's not this. It's the cross that's important today. Can we pray together? Thank you, Jesus, for your word, for your spirit that we have. I pray that you will anoint us. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to look at the task before us. When I look at the the world and the wickedness that I see today, that, that I see compounding all the time. I, I look and see what can I do. But God, I pray that you will help me, give me wisdom, understanding, and let love th flow through me. Let the kingdom of light flow through me. Let your love be shared through my actions, through my, through my words, my deeds, in order that I can make a difference in this darkness of this world. Anoint every one of us. Anoint APC to make a difference in this city that there will be a light that draws men and women from all over this, this region. Let them be drawn to the light of righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.